Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of the co-hosts of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at Smash underscore ASD. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Matthew now as we get a word from our sponsor. Thank you, Jeff. The podcast is sponsored by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. That's at 301 South Main Street, Suite 107, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. You can follow Main Street Pharmacy on Twitter at, at Main Street Farm. That's at M-A-I-N-S-T-R-E-E-T-P-H-A-R-M. Now, let me tell you. We have an outstanding guest this week, and I. And uh, one thing I want to make sure I say here too: um, this is our first ACC podcast of the year, right? And this is this is episode three hundred ninety six. We've been going for quite some time now. My name is Matthew. You can follow me on Twitter at, at HokieSmash underscore ASD. You can follow the site Twitter account at, at AllSports. D-A-C-C. We have an outstanding return guest here this week in Tim Thomas. You can follow Tim on Twitter at at T-I-M-T-H-O-M-A-S-T-L-P. And he is the owner and operator of TechLunchPail.com. You can follow their site Twitter account at at TechLunchPailD. That's at T-E-C-H-L-U-N-C-H-P-A-I-L-D. Now, one thing I want to make sure we're all we're all we're we're still learning this platform here. I want to make sure everybody is here live with us. Tim, are you with us? Can you hear us, Tim? Jeff, are you there? Yeah, I can hear you, Matthew. Okay, okay. I, I want to make sure that I just a second. Hold on just a second here. Want to make sure Tim Tim is here. We don't we don't I don't think we see him yet, so I'm 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 contacting him right now via via social media. He'll have to he'll have to click on the app here. I don't see him up on the deck yet. Put, uh, Jeff, we're going to put yourself on mute here for a moment. Put yourself on mute just a moment, okay? All right, I will do that. All right, we see you, Tim. Tim's with us. <laughs> can you guys hear me? We can hear you. This is great. Yes, we can. Man, man I gave you a great introduction. We're going to run through it again because you were excited. You are you you have been with us for several years, several years now. I mean, we brought you on here. 
when you were managing the fan-sided Virginia Tech blog, you can, you can remind our listeners of the, listeners of the name of that. I can't even remember. I think it was called Fighting Hokies or something like that. It was several years ago, and it's it's one that you started there, and then you left that site. You you know left that site for your own editorial control when you were a freshman at Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. And you're, I was telling our, I was telling our listeners here earlier, and Jeff, that you, your, your, your podcast, your, your blog, all your work has just absolutely skyrocketed, and you're in high demand at several radio stations in Virginia as a guest, and several podcasts, several podcasts as a guest. So I'll make sure I say this again to our listeners here. We have a terrific return guest tonight, and Tim Thomas. You can follow Tim on Twitter at, at Tim Thomas TLP. He's the owner and operator of TechLunchPail.com, and you can follow their site Twitter account at, at TechLunchPailD. They have so many good contributors there. I mean, I, I have I have myself, I've, I've mentioned several times that I think that this is the, the best Virginia Tech Hokies independent blog on the internet, From at least for my cash it is, and we've seen it grown exponentially when it was just in it in its infancy infancy and now it's a major force in the state of virginia so tim i i give you a, a huge plug there but tell us but tell us about yourself your academic background your print media background I, I know i've talked about it a little bit but you probably have more to say your time covering the hokies your current profession you know you can run run, run through it all with us but you know because we're always getting brand new listeners here all the time ever since we moved over to pod the podbean we've been seeing some first of all our audio is much better second that we're just getting a lot more listeners because it's a bigger it's a bigger um bigger platform so hey welcome back to the first podcast all sports discussion acc podcast of 2022 this is the longest running independent acc podcast in the country the floor is yours tim well, Matt, Jeff, I appreciate the intro. Yeah, it's great to be back. It's funny thinking back about that. The first time I hopped on was in 2015. I think the week I had started the Tech Lunch Bail after I left the Fighting Gobbler uh, well, over a fan side after spending like a year and a half or so there. Um, like I said, I'm a tech alum, uh, civil engineering alum. Uh, with that said, I'm a financial advisor full-time for New York Life doing insurance and investments. So that's my full-time job. But I love getting to do this. I've owned the Tech Lunch Bail. Shoot, we're Next month, February 1st, will be our seventh year, seven-year anniversary, which is tremendous. We've seen the site continue to grow uh, more and more over the years. And, you know, obviously, it's, it's a fascinating time to be covering Virginia Tech with the beginning of the Brent Pry era, um, in addition to Mike Young and the wildness that is this year in the ACC that uh, I don't think anyone can exactly explain how we got here uh, because no one, I think, could imagine the ACC not being one of the four best not one of the top two conferences in the country, let alone not one of the four best, maybe not even one of the top five conferences in the country in terms of NCAA tournament bids when all is said and done. So, um, but yeah, so I've been doing this for the past seven years. Obviously, I've been as well, a lot of radio appearances, ESPN Blacksburg, including a pregame, um, pregame football show analyst for Virginia Tech football for on ESPN Blacksburg uh, for five seasons now, six, uh, no, six, soon to be seven. I've uh, been full through the full Fuente era, so on to the next one now. Um, so, so yeah, so obviously uh, been a lot of places, uh, sometimes ESPN Richmond, other stuff. Um, very thankful through it all. Well, we're happy to have you back here. We're happy to have you back because you give us a wealth of knowledge here. So 
Let's come right here to Virginia Tech men's basketball, man. I mean, what do the Hokies actually have to do to get out of their slump? And I, Now, before I ask you that question, Tim, I'm going to be fair here. I mean, I, I had a chance to think about this when I was you know, going through our talking points. I don't necessarily think I see an NIT team yet because Virginia Tech started out with basically three of the top teams in the ACC, right? I mean, if you're looking at North Carolina, if you're looking at Duke, and quite frankly, Wake Forest is looking like they're one of the better teams in the ACC right now. So the the good news is that right now that the rest of the conference really isn't all that great either. And so there is time for Virginia Tech to get better and to you know make a potential run to get to the NCAA tournament. But what does Virginia Tech have to do to get out of that slump and off it, you know, really often in NIT invite. The floor is your. Yeah, no, um, you know, it's one of those things they can't afford those bad losses. And that was one of them. And, you know, I think part of the fascinating situation here is you're 0-3 in the ACC, but the road to get there is kind of odd. Uh, the Wake Forest game, obviously, was a disappointment. But Wake Forest looks legitimately good. I think they they look like an NCAA tournament caliber team. Duke is Duke. Um, I was there courtside in Cameron Indoor for that one. And Paolo Bancaro, look, I know Wendell Moore has been extremely good. And I haven't watched enough Duke maybe to say this, but I think Bancaro is the guy who should be the national player of the year considerations, not Moore. Moore is a heck of a basketball player, all-American caliber. But Paolo Bancaro is a guy who can take over a game. That kid's special. Just end of story. The kid's special. He's going to be in the NBA for 15 years and going to be a multi-time all-star. Uh, I that's that's my thoughts um, on that. And then the NC State, you know, it's weird when you get a bunch of players, you know, they just didn't have the time to prepare, you know, and you wonder if that prevent them from being as physical of a basketball team um, and being at the level that they needed to be at. And NC State's an op, you know, they're not a great team. They're not a consistent team, but they can string things together. We saw them. We saw them when they nearly upset Purdue and they pulled it off against Virginia Tech on the road. So, and it didn't help the students gone and everything else. That environment did not, on TV at least, seem that great. So, yeah, Tech needs to start winning basketball games. I don't think it's too complicated. They're going to have to win a lot of basketball games down the stretch. I mean, you can't anticipate at North Carolina that game being rescheduled. You want that if you're Tech. Because part of the issue for Virginia Tech is they don't have a quad one victory. I mean, you looked at the schedule. If you would have told me they had wins at Maryland and neutral site St. Bonaventure, I'd be like, all right, you got two signature non-conference quad one wins. Neither are that at this point. The Bonnies game isn't even in quad two because they're out somehow outside the top 100 in the net, um, which is part of the bizarre part of all of this. Um, you have a bad loss in quad three in NC State. Let's be honest, that's not getting better, and there's a chance NC State could fall in the quad four you know, follow the top 160, and that, that would put in quad four. That would be disaster. So if you're Virginia Tech, you just got to win. You just got to start winning basketball games. It's that simple. And you got to get – you might have to win 12 of the final 15 that are on the schedule currently or 11 of the final 14 or some very – you may be only able to lose two or three games, which, let's be honest, the ACC was poor in non-conference play. But I think if you watch some of these games – the ACC is getting its act together. It's not going to be able to salvage much in terms of bids because of just the the cluster that they put together in non-conference play. But 
there's going to be enough to make sure at least they get some, but it's going to be one of those things where the eye test is going to suggest is going to not, you know, it's going to show a better league than the resume, which is going to shoot ACC in the foot anyway. So Tech's got to start winning games. This upcoming stretch at UVA, that's a chance for a quad two win right now because UVA is outside the top 75 of the net. They got to win. Um, you know, you got to win those. Um, you got to avoid the mind, you know, you know, at NC State, at Boston College, you got to win those. Notre Dame at home. I mean, any team that's outside the top 75 in the net, if it's a home game, which is most the ACC, that's in the quad three or worse. And you can't lose at home. Tech may not be able to lose a single game, be able to afford losing a game at home the rest of the way. Now, Castle Coliseum is the type of place where you can go on a run like that, but they can't necessarily afford that. So, now, all, in terms of on the floor, um, Naheem Aline, they need to get him right, or they need to shift to Darius Maddox and hope that works. I think Maddox is a good player, but I think Aline is the best guard when Tech's guards are playing at their best. Naheem Aline is the best guard in this team. I think he has all ACC-level potential. But right now, he is just in such a funk. They got to find a way to get him out of it. I don't know if it's the yips or what at this point. But they have to find a way to get – if they can get Naheem Aline out of this, Tech, watch out. Tech is going to surge. And here's the thing with Tech as well. This is the type of team they have the talent, they have the veteran experience that when a tournament – when the ACC tournament comes around, look, all it's going to take is an upset of Duke, you know. And, you know, that's the only team that you really need to upset. You know, it's not that you have to upset anyone else in this league if you're Virginia Tech. There's no – Virginia Tech's talent is, you know, when they're firing on all cylinders, they may be the second or third best team in the conference still in my view um, with that great front court and a back court that is solid with upside. So I think Virginia Tech has got a lot of work to do, but they got to start winning basketball games. We know we, we can talk about all we want. They got to be consistent. They got to win basketball games, and they may need some style points to keep that net. You know, that net's one of their best – parts of their resume in the top 40. That's a very good net. Uh, the ACC, the rest of the ACC hasn't done their job outside of Duke, North Carolina and Wake Forest in that regard. Um, they got to keep it up. That's going to be the key. But the short term, they got to start winning games and then some of the big opportunities at Florida State, at Clemson, based on the net right now, you win those games, those are quad one victories. That might be what it comes down to. And then you got to hope a little to make, make your life easier. Teams like the Bonnies, teams like Maryland, keep winning, win games, uh, or get going, especially the Bonnies, who are been a little disappointment, to say the least. That's a good statement, and thanks for clarifying that. I I, I was counting uh, counting North Carolina, but I meant to say that they were that they could be f- scheduled to future. I wasn't saying earlier that NC State was one of the top three three teams. Had my had my org- had my had my thoughts, and I was jumping out too quick. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that Virginia Tech will have a chance to play at North Carolina because they played a pretty competitive game against the Tar Heels last year. And that, and I, and I, and I, and I think that Mike Young's offense would do pretty well again, pretty well against them. It did last year. And so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that, that that still happens here. So we're going to go over to Jeff here, Jeff. You're All right. Thanks, Matthew. Um, Tim, outside of Virginia tech, what do some of the other, bubble teams in the ACC need to do um, to get into the tournament, get off that NCAA bubble. And I think a lot of the things you said about Virginia Tech are going to apply to a 
you know, a good half a dozen other teams that are trying to get into uh, in, into the bubble, you know, like Miami did yesterday. I mean, we weren't really looking in their direction. And then they go on the road and beat Duke, and, and suddenly they, they leap from the middle of the pack probably to the number two team in the ACC just like that. Well, that's the strange thing. You mentioned Miami, and that's the strange thing. This is an intriguing team. Jim Laranaga is a heck of a coach, and he might have something here. But part of the issue with Miami's resume is their net, you know, the new RPI, the net. They're 80th in the net right now. UVA, 84th. They're finding momentum, but they're 84th in the net. I'll bet that may have come crashing down some in Chapel Hill, making for a fascinating Tech at UVA game this week. Uh, Louisville, 85th in the net. You know, some of these teams that have some intriguing pieces to go on a run, but they need to climb the net. I mean, you're it's going to be hard – if you're in the 60s or the 70s, let alone the 80s in the net, you're going to have a hard time making the NCAA tournament. It doesn't matter the conference you're in. Uh, Miami's intriguing, though, because now they have a signature win. That is as good of a win as any team in the country is going to have on their resume, especially on the bubble, most likely. That's a heck of a win to carry. And the other benefit, Miami does not have a single quad three or quad four loss at the moment. That feels like it could be rather significant. Now, Miami, that was their first road game in the ACC, and, well, what a way to start. But Miami's going to need some more quality wins. They're going to have to start building out the resume. They're going to have to just start jumping the net. But they're going to have to avoid the minefields that are out there. You know, Boston College, Pittsburgh, NC State. Uh, Jeff, your, uh, your beloved Georgia Tech, which is, you know, even without Alvarado, kind of one of the weird downturns this year is Georgia Tech. Um. But, you know, especially when you play those teams at home. The good news for a Miami, for example, they have Georgia Tech at home. But Pitt on the road, for example, Pitt's so far down the net, that's a minefield game. Um, that's a dangerous game. You know, same thing with Boston College. They're so far down the net. NC State might end up falling so far in that where even a road game would be outside the top two quadrants. You don't want those losses if you're Miami. That's one of the remaining parts of the resume. North Carolina, I think, is one of the simpler teams on the board. I think they're probably the second team in the ACC right now in terms of the tournament um, after Duke. Uh, they need to get build some momentum here. A loss at Notre Dame isn't killer. Um, you know, when they play at Wake Forest, that's an important – you know, if you can just add some – you know, a couple more good wins and just keep winning basketball games through North Carolina. I think North Carolina has a little more room for error. Fortunately, they don't have any bad losses, but, you know, they don't have a, a, any quad one wins. Uh, so that game at Wake Forest, for example, is an important one. Uh, but I think North Carolina's in pretty good shape. And when you have guys like Baycott and Brady Manick in the front port, front court, um, you're going to be in good shape. Wake Forest, you know, and saying and this is this can apply to every team. Any team that gets the chance to play Duke this year has a golden opportunity. That is a golden ticket, um, and everybody in the ACC knows that's the one way to get a big resume win. Uh, they played, they host Duke this week. That's a huge game. If Wake Forest can knock off Duke, you know, obviously we are a long ways away from the NCAA tournament. But if Wake Forest beats Duke, I think you can be breathing easily and Steve Forbes will be, in, you know, even more so the clear front runner to win ACC Coach of the Year, which, by the way, Forbes is having a second-year jump like Mike Young did last year. Um, heck of a job he's done. He's kind of done it Fred Hoiberg style, uh, throwing back those Iowa State teams with all these transfers and the right ones, too. Alondez Williams, for example, guy had a – much success prior to Wake Forest having an incredible year. Um, so that's that's where they're at. 
Louisville, Clemson, UVA, Miami, all got to boost their net. Florida State, all of them. Clemson having the best net of that group in the mid-50s, um, which makes you know any trip to Clemson a quad one victory opportunity. And I'm not crazy on Clemson. P.J. Hall has been intriguing for them. Um, he's getting better and better. Is Clemson NCAA tournament team? I don't know. It hurts. They need Duke, that Duke game rescheduled. Um, obviously, for a couple of reasons. One, you have a sold-out home game against Duke. Yeah, <laughs> that's got to be a priority for the conference, you know, out of respect to all the members of the conference. But secondly, that's a golden opportunity there. Clemson's intriguing. B.J. Hall's going to be a very talented player for years to come. But I think they're going to be a team that, you know, could be that NIT team that if they can stay in the top 70 of the net could be very valuable for the rest of the conference to get to the NCAA tournament if they can get a win down in Little John. So Florida State and UVA are the type of teams, once again, Tony Bennett, that team's showing signs of getting it together. Florida State, you got to think Leonard Hamilton's going to start getting it together. We saw with the win at home against Louisville. Um, they're in the top 70, 75 of the net, which means, once again, that's another opportunity there if you can go there. But that's not an easy trip to Tallahassee. And Florida State's, you know, they're always insanely deep. They start putting together as well. That's the weird thing with the ACC is they're li- they, the ACC's limited but might be playing like a conference that, that has seven or eight NCAA tournament teams, I'll bet, no <laughs> real top 25 outside of Duke. Might have a bunch of those dangerous 8, 9, 10, 11 seeds or a few of them, or dangerous teams that, you know, go to the first four in Dayton and then go on a run. But the ACC's dug itself too much of a hole, and it's going to be cutthroat um, in the ACC this year. And, you know, you're going to have to, like I said, Duke's going to, you're going to have to beat down on Duke. You're going to have to get, you're going to, you know, Jim Phillips has got to be rooting for two or three of these bubble teams to go get a win against Duke going forward, because that will boost everybody's net. And you just gotta, you kind of gotta beat up on Duke a little, and kind of gotta screw Duke out of a one seed, and even maybe out of a two seed, to bring up the rest of the conference. Yeah, yeah, very good. I, I like your, I like your, um, the analogy. Oh, we got um, Tim. Can you mute yourself? Um, the one of the things you said I really like it, or is calling the the minefield group, and you kind of mentioned Boston College, uh, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, and I'm going to throw NC State as one of the minefield teams. These are all teams that are 125 plus in the in in the net, but it's not exactly like they're getting blown out every game. Boston College already has a win, you know, over Notre Dame, um, NC State has the win over Virginia Tech and, and Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech have been really close, um, you know, against teams uh, like Louisville. Georgia Tech was close against Notre Dame and couldn't close it out. I mean, they're not going to go um, winless the rest of the season. And, you know, those are teams that aren't going to make the NCAA tournament. Maybe NC State has the best chance with, with Sebron if they can go on a run, but I, I still consider it pretty unlikely. But with Boston College, Pitt and Georgia Tech, you know, those are teams that can come up and bite you and they, they, I mean, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. It's, it's virtually no chance, but they're good enough to go up and sneak, sneak up on you and, and kind of really mess up the, you know, your resume or, you know, who, any of these other bubble teams. So I think, I think we're going to go with that for the rest of the year and, and you know, and call Pitt, Boston College, Georgia Tech are, are the minefield uh, games out there.
I guess it's in our next discussion in the ACC teams uh, and the NCAA tournament. How many ACC teams do you think will end up making the NCAA tournament? Yeah, Jeff, I think, um, yeah, with, you know, those minefields are gonna, could affect it. I, I don't know. I think I think four is, if I had to guess, I know that's the common number right now. I, 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 there's still a part of me that thinks five, but you have so many teams that far down the net right now, and it's, it's going to be hard to – the climb up and without, you know, outside of Duke, really any other surefire NCAA tournament team. Uh, I do think UNC is one of the teams when it's all said and done. I think Wake Forest is one of the teams. And then I think it's a mix of Tech, of Louisville, of Miami, of Florida State, of UVA. I don't think Clemson, but I think probably Tech – you know, Tech's an interesting team because of the strength of schedule, because they have so many of the other metrics that you want that's bailing them out. They got to start winning basketball games, but they're going to be, you know, Tech may finish, say, fifth or sixth in the ACC and jump somebody else because of everything else um, on the resume. Some people complain, well, Tech should have just beat up on a weaker schedule. That strong schedule, that stronger non-conference may actually bail Tech out this time. Um, we tech fans have been wanting a stronger non-conference schedule for years, and it may be what bails them out if they can get it rolling. Like I said, I still think five, but it could be, you know, this is a year where like, so the ACC could, it could be, it could be five because that fifth team goes and wins the ACC tournament and would have not made the, the NCAA, um, without winning the conference tournament because there's just not a lot of gap. Once, once you get past Duke, there's not a lot of gap, a big gap at all between UNC and Tech and Wake and Miami and Louisville and UVA and Florida State and Clemson and even even throwing Mike Bray's bunch at Notre Dame. There's just not a lot of gap, and who knows? Syracuse always seems to – Beheim always seems to pull off a miracle. I don't know if he can pull off this miracle. Uh, I think there might be – the clock, clock father time might be starting to really click on Jim Beheim at Syracuse in terms of just his ability to elevate. But, you know, there's just – it just – when you have this close of a gap, all it takes is one upset of Duke to create an opening in the NC in the ACC tournament, where there are going to be some desperate teams. There could be most of the conference may be desperate in a in a way we don't normally see. So I, I'm going to say four or five. If that could be proven wrong. We could end up down the three by the time it's all said and done. Because this, you know, if Duke, I don't think Duke's going to go 19 and one or 18 and two or only have one or two losses in ACC play. But if they do, that's probably not good for the ACC. The ACC probably needs Duke to end up with like four or so ACC losses, uh, which would still probably be more than enough if they're three, four, five losses uh, to win the conference this year. But that's I think it's going to be four or five still. I just can't imagine the ACC being at four even. But that's the reality we're headed for in this you know kind of Frankensteinian year for the conference. Yeah, yeah, very good there, and I'm I'm kind of, I'm I'm with you. I, I think in the end, I'm I, I think if I had to make a prediction today, I'd say they end up with with five, uh, but it, it's going to be in that four or five, um, ballpark all year, and and there's that potential, like you said, that it ends up at three. Uh, I think t- if it gets to six, it some crazy crazy things would have to happen, and um, you know that that's kind of getting on the outside of what's what's realistic. So I think four and five is, is also a very good number. Um, you know, staying with, with the NCAA tournament here, 
Do you think Duke will end up being a one seed? No, I, I just don't. I just don't think there's enough big games for Duke to build the resume. The name brand helps, but they're going to have to almost be. Per- they're going to have to be maybe perfect uh, the rest of the way. I think a four or five. I don't, it's going to be tight. I think they probably end up as a two. Because, like I said, I think they're going to slip up a couple times, and that's going to be enough to take them out of the picture. Um, I think they'll finally win the ACC again, the regular AC regular season, which will be the first time in like a decade, maybe. But I just don't think there's just not there's just no real opportunities. There aren't a lot of opportunities to get quad one wins on the schedule. I mean, you have at Wake Forest, you have at North Carolina, and you're hoping some other teams pick it up. They don't travel to Tallahassee. Um, you know, in some ways for Duke, getting that at Clemson game could be very beneficial. Get that on the calendar for them as well to get a quad one win for their push for a one seed. So they're going to have to start winning games in a big way. Who knows? Maybe a few more bump up. Um, you know, good that they have that Gonzaga win in Vegas. They have that win over Kentucky. Those are going to be crucial. But there's just not a lot to the resume. With that said, you know, this team's got so much talent. If they're a two seed, they feel like the two seed that every one seed's not going to want. Um, you know, with this being Coach K's final year with a generational freshman talent like Bancaro, one of the best freshmen we've seen this decade in college basketball, um, with Wendell Moore, with a lot of veteran, with Moore being really good and a lot of veteran pieces, A.J. Griffin figuring it out, a very good backcourt with Keels and company. So, and Jeremy Roach as well with some experience. So I think... But I don't think it's enough. I don't think there's enough there for them to get a one seed. Um, but, you know, they may benefit from a carousel in other conferences. That's what they got to they got to kind of avoid losing, basically, with a team that's still fairly young um, and hope for the carousel elsewhere kind of damages some people. Um, people, you know, you have two big 12 teams at the top. Can you have two big 12 one seeds? I, I don't know if that holds up. Um, what about the Pac-12? Can they damage themselves? Arizona, UCLA, and USC, the avoid two uh, Pac-12 one-seeds, or even one. Gonzaga, the West Coast Conference is the best it's been ever. Is there someone that can trip them up? Um, but that may not make a difference for Gonzaga this year because the West Coast is so strong. So I just don't think it's going to happen uh, for Duke. I think they. I think the Miami loss starts to push them down because that's a quad three loss for the time being, and I just don't see Duke um, on the one line. All right. Uh, now, now let's look at, at the other side. You know, teams that aren't playing for NCAs in some trouble here. Who who's on the ACC men's basketball hot seat right now? Well, I think it starts with Jeff Capel, and he he got he inherited a very difficult job um at pittsburgh and he's done a, an okay job at least making it you know not completely awful but look i know sometimes you get dealt a bad hand but it's a mess i know pitt's been a, looked a little more competitive but it's year four and pitt's still a seller dweller in the acc um that's just you just can't have that if you're pittsburgh and i i just don't think it's tenable I, I wonder how big Pitt spends or tries to shoot on this next hire. Part of me, if I'm Pitt, if you make the move, the one guy one guy I would call Mark Schmidt at St. Bonaventure, guy who's been in region, um, you know, 
kind of one of those grinders like Mike Young, like so many others, like a guy like Bob McKillop, who's done so well at Davidson but never left. Schmidt's one of those guys. I think I'd I think he'd be one of the guys I'd call up. If you want to take a risk, maybe you take a chance on the young uh, Kim English at George Mason, for example. Maybe that's a risk you take. You like I said, you gotta look at the board, kind of judge what's out there. Maybe Mac maybe you take a chance on like a Mike Rhodes or something as well, VCU. Uh, but I, I just don't see that. NC State's an interesting one with Keats. Um, you know, I I don't know what to think with NC State because they've been they haven't been spectacular. They need to be they haven't been as good and you know, the, the, right now they don't look like they're gonna go anywhere. Now they could rally and maybe sneak into an NIT. But to not go anywhere in year five, that's going to be tough for Keats. To, that might be tough for Keats to survive. I I, I don't know uh, where you go if you're NC State. There, there's going to be some questions there. And NC State sometimes can be a is a job that I don't think is as good as people in Raleigh f- realize. Um, it's just not as good of a job as I think uh, you know as people in Raleigh think it is. So that's an interesting situation. Bayheim. Here's the thing with the situation with Jim Beha. I I wonder at some point when is Syracuse, you know, the roster issues that they've had. You know, Beha's figured it out, but at some point, and this might be when it's really catching up for Syracuse. You know, it's just, you just can't at some point, you know, kind of be in this almost weird purgatory um, with Beheim. So I think Syracuse, but it would not surprise me if Caples ends up being the only change in the ACC. Like I said, I don't know if I there's enough to make a move on Keats, and I don't know if I would. Um, yeah, with Bayheim, I, like I said, I, I I think he's gonna call the shots there till the end, and so I don't know. I will say this. It'll be interesting where Capel ends up because, like I said, I, I think he could be do really well at the high mid majors in the A10 somewhere. I think, you know, someone like John Shire also could benefit from bringing Capel back um, as a top assistant, um, kind of give him a veteran guy alongside him as a first year head coach next year. So that could be an interesting situation with Capel. Uh, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch out there. I just think Pitney, though, you know, Capel was kind of the guy to get away from Kevin Stallings and kind of re- start the reset. But Pitt, Pitt's got to have big, bigger, you know, they have higher standards and they're not being met. And it's time. It just seems like time for them to make a change at this point. You know, you wonder as well if Mark Turgeon maybe factors in at a pit. You know, he, you know, didn't do great. He did okay. He did decent at Maryland. You wonder if he factors in. Uh, given his, you know, he's been in this region for a while. Same thing if NC State opens, you wonder if Turgeon maybe factors in as a retread, but someone who's had a lot of success at Maryland. So, All right, yeah, some coaches need some strong finishes here in the ACC. Um, tomorrow we have the national championship game between Alabama and Georgia. Um the last time these two played in the national time title game, uh, I could barely stomach it. I watched it for about 45 minutes and turned it off, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's still the national championship game. Uh, who do you have when in Alabama or Georgia? I got Bama. I look, I know the history of this, of most of the time in these rematches, you know, the other team wins, but this is Bama. 
I think we're overthinking. I think so many. I think Vegas is overthinking it, which feels like a dangerous thing to say that may haunt me tomorrow night. But I, I think this Bama team's too good. I mean, you have superstar playmaker. You know, Bryce Young is the quarterback position is such an advantage. Stetson Bennett is is been, I think, a little better than I I want to say he is. You know, I when I first think of what Stetson Bennett is, but Bryce Young is special. And you have Jamison Williams, as long as he's healthy. You have these other pieces, Jaleel Billingsley, Slade Bolden. Brian Robinson is a guy who can, you know, veteran running back, feels like a guy who could have another big game like he did against Cincinnati to win it all. And that defense with Will Anderson and company, they have the talent. And Alabama, you know, with Williams, even though they don't have, um, even though without one of their star receivers, Williams is enough to still exploit what um, the Georgia's weakness, which is that secondary, one of the weaknesses of this Georgia team. I think Bama gets the job done. I think Nick Saban wins again. I think Georgia just doesn't get over the hump. And I think they're desperate to get Caleb Williams as soon as that, as soon as the final whistle blows. I think Kirby Smart's going to be looking for a phone and wondering how quickly he can get in contact with Caleb Williams and beg him to come to Athens and, um, and take down, uh, take down Alabama. So, I just don't think there's like I said, I think Bama's the best team. I you know, like I said, I thought Georgia I thought was right. I thought the gap between Georgia and every everyone else was big, especially, you know, how could Alabama lose Texas AM and lose Auburn? But Alabama's turned it on. This is Bama. They know what they're doing. They know what it takes to win on the stage. And I think they get the job done tomorrow night. And, you know, I think Alabama I think Alabama, this could be a three peat uh this year. And I'm already jumping ahead the next year with Bryce Young and Will Anderson back you know the two best players in america yeah this is a this is maybe the biggest of biggest runs um from bama uh from nick saban this may be the last this may be the greatest and the last great great run of saban but that's what happens when you have a generational quarterback when you have a you know the best quarterback college football who's returning and you have a guy who maybe should have been the Heisman winner on defense of Will Anderson uh, with the insane number of tackles for loss, the insane way that he could dictate a game and allow a bunch of other good players, if you try to overforce play on him, there's plenty of other good players who could step up. So I just think Georgia has enough with better at quarterback. They got playmakers like N'Kobe Deed, but I just don't at, – uh, at Davis, the tackle who – I think it's a little overrated. I think any you know, he just doesn't play enough snaps at the end of the day. You know, to be a guy I think I think Alabama could contain him. So I, I like the tide to win another national championship and you know, I think there'll be a day where we appreciate what Saban has done, you know, to the level it should. I don't think it's gonna be this day. <laughs> I know it won't be for me, but what we're seeing is the greatest coach the greatest coach program combination in the history of college football and maybe one of the maybe the greatest coach team combination in the history of sports in terms of the dominance and the established dominance that what Saban has done. Greater than Belichick um, and Brady, greater than anything we've seen. Uh, maybe like I said, John Warden might be the only one that we can compare this to in terms of the top level. North Dakota State has just had so many coaches, so you can't credit the one, but that's a special one too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm glad you mentioned that about Vegas. I think that was that was the best thing that could have happened to Alabama was when that line came out as a as a three or a point underdog when that came out. That 
was probably plastered on every Alabama's player's locker within 15 minutes of that coming out. Oh, oh, you bet. And I tell you, uh, Kirby Smart won't have to be mad about that because he can't use it now as motivation. Uh, But Georgia should have plenty of motivation. But like I said, it stunned me. When I saw that line, you know, I I got the FanDuel app and I've – I put a small bet. I might put more on Alabama money line <laughs> because it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, did did, they, did Vegas not watch the SEC championship game? I know, like I said, this team nearly upset by Auburn, lost to Texas A&M, but did they not watch? I, I, I just don't. I, I'm puzzled. I, I um, It's puzzling to say the least. Um, it's not the biggest football surprise of the weekend. Because that goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars pulling off maybe the one of the biggest upsets this decade or the past this maybe this century in some regards, given the timing of it uh, being the final week of the season and taking the Colts out of the playoffs and the Jags being the number one overall pick, but maybe the biggest upset in the NFL over the past five ten years. So you know it just the importance of it. But regardless, yeah, I, I just don't see. Like I said, it's rat poison. You know, it keeps away the rat poison from Bama, and uh, that's a dangerous thing. That just seems like a very dangerous thing there. Yep, definitely, exactly. All right, Matthew, I'm going to turn it over to you for the last couple questions in the podcast. How fun! How fun! All right, Tim, one of the major reasons we have you here tonight is to talk about the Virginia Tech head football coaching hire the assistant hires. There have been loads of transfers that have been coming in through the portal, probably recruits of some players that I'm not aware of that you keep constant track of because I retweet everything that you put out pretty much. I'm going to give you an open microphone on everything that's happened since the Justin Fuente departure, and we won't talk about the bowl game that happened in New York. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, the bowl I tell you that uh, I'll hit on that. Gosh, that uh, look, it was cool being at Yankee Stadium and and whatnot. That 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 game uh, did a number on Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, it put me into quarantine for a few days. Thankfully, about done with that. Hallelujah! Fortunate. Uh, you know, everything I had was minimal. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, the tech media as a whole kind of got you know some of us ended up on the COVID list out of that. Uh, just a reminder that the. Uh, us and the media also sometimes end up on the COVID list and not just not just players and coaches. So, um, But, yeah, you know, it's been a fascinating ch- transition. Obviously, we got to start with Brett Pry, the head coach hire. And, you know, I think the word is fit. This guy fits. Brett Pry fits Virginia Tech. You know, Brett Pry is a guy kind of like Mike Young who fits the culture. You know, he played high school football at Lexington, Virginia, what is now Rockbridge County High School, was Lexington High School, um, where while his dad was a coach, was coached by Brian Steinspring, was a GA in the mid-90s. Um, you know, understands that that brand of defense, that culture, um, and, and views Virginia Tech high, more highly than the, nas- the, no- the normal national coach does. Uh, Buzz Williams, Justin Fuente, even the volleyball hire, the places where Whit Babcock's made a first and second hire, the first was more splash. A guy who viewed Virginia Tech as a big-time job, but not outside the national picture. These hires have been guys who you know view it even higher, who've, who view it higher than most in terms of the ranking of jobs in America. 
And like I said, I, I, this hire has grown on me. It was intriguing at first, but there's just this is a this Brent Pry is an outgoing guy. And you know, look, I think you could be an introvert at the highest level. It's just a lot harder. Um, and I, it helps. He's outgoing and he fits. And anytime you fit as a coach, you're going to have a lot greater chance of success at the end of the day. You know, Buzz Williams was a great culture fit, but he was a great coach. So it didn't matter. Justin Fuente was not a good enough coach to overcome the fact that he wasn't a great fit. Of course, it did help that, you know, his program never had an identity. If you're not going to fit, your program's got to have an identity. Well, Fuentes was lost in the wilderness. Buzz Williams, well, Buzz Williams has an identity with his program. Uh, that's part of it that Brett Pry needs to get back to. Those natural identities for Virginia Tech are a lot easier to establish. Now, like I said, can Brett Pry get it done? Who knows? We're about to find out. You know, <laughs> you know that may not sound like the confidence thing for Tech fans, but that's the reality. You know, we're, you're playing the lottery a little. Um, of course, at some point, you got to get them right. There's too much pressure not to. But like I said, with Brett Pry, um, he fits, and I think it's a good hire for Whit Babcock. You know, what's interesting, we're looking at the the coordinator hires and the staff around it. Tyler Bowen and Chris Marr. Bowen, obviously, to be announced likely this week. I would expect – wouldn't be surprised if it happens tomorrow now that the Jags season is over. Uh, but he's already been active in the, on the transfer portal and all the recruiting trails as a whole for Virginia Tech while working for the Jags. Chris Marv, obviously intriguing as well. Uh, you know, young guy, very talented coach, you know, coaching up those linebackers at Florida State. Both guys considered rising stars. And what has been fascinating to watch is how Brett Pry went with two young guys, two young rising guys, 32, probably the youngest combo. Actually, probably not probably. I feel like I can say this confidently. The youngest duo of coordinators at the Power 5 level. And he put veteran coaches around them. Let's look at the offensive side. Joe Rudolph. You know, what a reputation he has at offensive line coach. He's been around the business for a long time. He's been associate coach, offensive coordinator. That's a veteran guy as the run game coordinator. You got Brad Glenn, who's been coaching his all over the place at places like App State and Western Carolina and Georgia State uh, as offensive coordinator as well. So he knows what it's like to be in that big in the main chair as the pass game coordinator as well. Guys, a lot of success. You put a couple veteran guys around him. Stu Holtz, a veteran assistant as well. That helps a lot. The defensive side. Look at the veteran guys around Chris Marb. Obviously, you have Brett Pry to be right there. They kind of trade and develop your defensive coordinator, uh, develop as a coordinator. But you have veteran guys like Derek Jones who, you know, many of us, are. if you knew, if, you know, I think we all know when Jones was at Duke for over a decade, he was David Cutcliffe's right-hand man and through the best years of the Cutcliffe era. There was a time when I think most of us thought Jones would be the next Duke head coach. He would be the guy that passed the baton. He left for Texas Tech and, you know, the, with the way things kind of ended for Cutcliffe, that was that. Uh, for Jones's hopes as a head coach at Duke, at least for the time being, but Jones is a veteran, the type of veteran guy you want. Uh, you look at J.C. Price, who's been coached at JMU and Marshall, who's been in the big chair as the interim head coach, and you know that's a lot of experience right there for a guy like Marv, a guy who's been around the business for you know, and Price who's been around the business for a while. Uh, you look at Sean Quinn, who's been a head coach. I don't care what level. He's been a successful head coach at D2 at Savannah State. That's a nice veteran coach to have around. So you have a bunch of veteran veteran coaches on both sides around these young, first-time lead Power 5 coordinators. Now, Bowen obviously has been a coordinator, offensive coordinator, the, the main guy 
at Fordham in 2016. He's been offensive recruiting coordinator for Penn State when he was there um, for a few years before going to the Jags for a year. He was the co-offensive coordinator for a couple years. He was the offensive coordinator for a game and called the plays against Memphis in the Cotton Bowl a few years ago when Penn State put up over 50. So I, I, I like, especially the Bowen, I think Marv is a gamble in some regards, you know. Doesn't have as much proven as Bowen does, but they're both risk. But I think they're the type of guys you take chances on. Um, and you look at the offensive side, the thing with Pry is he is not married to an offensive coordinator. If it doesn't work in the first couple of years, I don't think he's going to be afraid to make a change because he's not married to a specific offensive system. So I, I like a lot of the hires. Joe Rudolph, that's a heck of a hire. I don't know. I, I don't know how they pulled that one off. I I know obviously he lost kind of the offensive coordinator job after a year of it. He lost that title. But this guy has produced so much talent at Wisconsin. Yeah, they've been rebuilding that offensive line, but look at what Braylon Allen, uh, look at what Allen, the running back, did this year. Look at that, what that rushing attack did. Four past five years, they've still been in the top 25 in rushing. That's still a very good team. I think I saw Brett McMurphy as Wisconsin top 10. Pre, it is pre, way too early top 10, top 10, top 12 of the country is way too early top 25 that he released this evening. So, you know, that's – and he's such a good recruiter. And he's adapted to where – whether it's Pitt, whether it's Wisconsin, he's adapted well. Uh, you look at Derek Jones. Like I said, I thought that was a big-time hire. Brad Glenn. And whenever you bring an offensive coordinator, a good one, to a – I don't care. I know it's a G5, the Power 5, but he's making that jump but not as an offensive coordinator. That's that's pretty good as well. J.C. Price, I'm intrigued. See, like I said, I think an analyst might be someone who's focused more on that side. I'm surprised they didn't put a second kind of defensive line coach. But Brett Price spent some time actually as a defensive line coach in his career, including at Memphis coach up Dartari Poe. I think Pride may have some involvement, but Price – has been a lead defensive line coach in the past. Uh, so people who have some doubts there. Pearson Prelo is the type of guy you take a risk on. Um, I, I'm a big fan of – I got to sit next to him for at a the Belk Bowl back in 2016. And the guy's a wealth of knowledge about the game. He knows so much. And guys like Prelo and Price, those are the type of culture guys, you know, on the staff as well, who understand what it took to build Virginia Tech up in the mid-90s. Stu Holtz, obviously a guy, good reputation. Been in the ACC for a few years, so he knows the territory. Uh, Chris Marv, like I said, great coach. Proven guy's a linebacker coach. Um, not known as a great recruiter, but you could teach a 32-year-old. A 32 year old has a lot more room to grow as a recruiter than a 42- or 52-year-old. So I'm very intrigued. Obviously, I think it's big. The staff, the money that's being committed here is significant, both on and off the field. And that's going to be crucial for building out a modern operation. Bringing in guys like Michael Hazel and Mike Villagrata off the field are proof that, and the roles that they have are proof that Virginia Tech is building a truly modern operation. This money's been sitting there. This is what happens when you wait a year to make a move and you don't pay as big of a buyout. Along with fundraising on the side, you know, you wait for the right moment to move. Last year, a lot of guys weren't moving. This year, they were. They held that money. If things figured out with Fuente, great. We can unleash the money. If not, we're going to have it ready for the next guy if we need to make a move this year. And that's what we're seeing happen um, after they made the move. So, like I said, intriguing. I like a lot of the hires overall. But, you know, at the end of the day, you never know with head coaching hires. There have been hires that, remember, people thought Justin Fuente was going to be a great hire. 
a lot of people across the country. He's already one of the best hires. Guess what? <laughs> Here we are six years later. And after the first, you know, after having like no losing season for 20 over two decades, Texas law had losing season three of the past four years. So here we are and Texas had a rebuild. So in a rebuild, you know, that is looking good so far with some of the additions, you know, with Brown and Wells at quarterback, Brown being a guy who could push Wells and I think could win the job over Wells, but Wells, a talented young quarterback, a lot of problems at Marshall Brown, a culture guy. You know, if he doesn't, if he's not the starting quarterback next year, you know he's a guy who loves Virginia, who's wanted to be at Virginia Tech and helps you establish the culture. Jaden Blues, a very intriguing talent at Temple, has shown what he can be in 2019, hasn't had much help at quarterback or at offense. So that helps as well in getting him in. I think he's an intriguing guy to replace Tavion Robinson and Trey Turner to try to be the number one guy. Still a downgrade when you lose two of those guys, but Blue definitely helps the balance of that. But it's gonna be it's gonna require patience here. Uh, this is a rebuild. Uh, it's gonna require. Look, if Tech gets to a bowl game next year, Brett Pry might be the ACC co- worthy of ACC Coach of the Year. As crazy as that seems. All right. Um. Matthew, I think I think you got yourself muted right Sorry now. That. Sorry about that. I'm on mute. Yeah, I po- apologize. That ha- uh, that's very good analysis there, Tim. Um, we really appreciate that. Uh, one of the things I would just want to follow up with you: this wasn't really a huge national splash sort of hire with Coach Pry, and I want to get your th- thoughts on it. I mean, I, I your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I think to a degree you described that pretty well. That it was more of a cultural aspect. Somebody who Really needed to get the 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 uh, how do I say it the levers of recruiting the back 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 in Virginia again right because they've really made Virginia a focus for recruiting here so I just I want to have you talk a little bit about both of those yeah and I think when you look at what Pry has already done the first five commits were all in state guys the five guys he added to the class are all in state kids. Um, Gosnell obviously was kind of a guy who was almost in the bank anyway. Then Fuente got fired, kind of waited it out. Open, left the door open for UNC, but as soon as Pry established himself, it was game over. Battle was already mostly done, and Pry uh, put the finishing touches that were needed at that point. But he's, you know, he was, you know, moved to Virginia. You look at the two additions from Bluefield, from Graham High School in Bluefield, uh, Meadows and Brad, Xavier Bradshaw, who is the son of former Giants and Super Bowl winning running back Ahmad Bradshaw. Um, you look at Hunter McLean, um, a kid who, from what I understand, is the type of guy where Tech decided, you know what, if we're going to take a chance on a kid, if we're going to take a chance on a kid we deem a project to fill out a class, it's going to be a Virginia kid. That's the type of move that was. And flipping Burgos as well from the Richmond area. You know, that's part of it is the Commonwealth – there's talent all over the place, and Pry with those commitments showed that they're not just looking in the seven five. They're just not looking at Richmond. They're just not looking at one spot. I mean, like I said, you you get from Bonatot, you get from Graham High School, Bluefield, Carroll County, where is where Gosnell's at. Obviously, Manawaka with Burgos. The proof's in the pudding in terms of what Tech is doing first in the Commonwealth and then in the footprint as a whole. Look at the uh, three guys they brought in through the transfer portal. 
Blue, I think, is a Maryland kid, originally from Maryland. Wells is from West Virginia, you know, which you don't see a lot of West Virginia recruits at West Virginia natives at Tech, but, you know, we've seen some, and that's kind of in the footprint. And then after that, you have Jason Brown of Fredericksburg area, Chancellor High School in Spotsylvania County. Um, you know, kid, another Virginia kid. So you have all those pieces. At the end of the day, you could say all you want. It's what you do. And so far, what Brent Pry has done is lived up to that billing of we are going to recruit the footprint. We're going to recruit Virginia. And to go back, like I said, on the culture fit side of it, you know, like I said, it fits the pivot. You know, Whit Pavcock looking for guys who fit. They don't may, may not be splashy, but they fit what Virginia Tech is. Guys who have a strong reputation. You know, Pry has been a head coach, but he has a heck of a, a reputation as well. Um, as a as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive mind, um, as a recruiter in Virginia, and so, like I said, the words and the actions the actions have backed up the words so far. Brent Pry and the success of landing some of these kids, I'll bet, maybe not always most competition, but Bradshaw was setting up to be a kid who was going to blow up between now and February, and Tech was able to get him in on on the Friday at the end of the early signing day window. Uh, Brody Meadows flipping from UVA. I know UVA made the change, but, you know, Tech had overlooked those guys at Graham. Uh, Hunter McClain, like I said, is proof that Tech is – the. it really does matter. Because I'm going to be honest, I, I got to see Bada Top play earlier this year. Uh, Givens, you know, looks the athletic specimen part. He's going gonna, gonna to take some time to develop him, but he looks athletically the part. McClain, I, I wasn't crazy on McClain from what I had seen. I wasn't playing that close to him, but I wasn't crazy on what I had seen that night. But he's got a lot of the characteristics of what you want in terms of a project if you're going to take a chance at the end of your class. And Tech decided to go with the in-state kid. They didn't have to. Uh, they get Givens or hold on to Givens. They didn't have to get his teammate. They just took a chance on the in-state kid. And I think that says a lot of how Tech's going to approach the state as a whole, the Commonwealth of Virginia as a whole going forward. It's going to be the Commonwealth first. The footprint's going to matter. The Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, um, I, you know, the DMV, Maryland, DC, you know, assume probably into Pennsylvania, New Jersey, but it's going to be the Commonwealth first. Quarterback recruiting might be the one place we see it stretch out, but that's you know that's kind of how it works for every team in the country. Um, that's just the reality of the deal. So, like I said, it's going to be the Commonwealth is going to matter. Um, it's going to be the forefront, and this is the most kids from the Commonwealth that have signed with Virginia Tech since 2014, since pre-Justin Fuente. Now, Fuente put a lot of the pieces together, but Brent Pry really boosted it down the stretch, those numbers with kids that would not have been Hokies otherwise. You know, I, I would say four of the five. So, that I think says a lot. Very good, sir. Very good. Let's go to the open microphone time here. And I'm just going to – I'm going to – you know, before we give you guys a chance to uh, – to do your open microphone, I'm going to use my chance in this open microphone just to ask Tim another question here. Tim, I brought this up, and I think you'll enjoy. I think you'll enjoy this, but you have a unique perspective because you live in what I would say is the north, or you're from, I should say, the north-south dividing line, right? I mean, I, I think I, I think I talked one time with Wes Durham about this on Twitter about how. You know, if you have a uh, if you have a cookout in your city, that's probably considered a southern 
southern location, and that is that is that is that is you know Fredericksburg. <laughs> That's Fredericksburg, right? And yeah, and so I guess my question for you is: um, I, I thought a long time about this, and I thought you know I've been thinking about this for a couple months. I thought, wouldn't it be great if the NFL could put the Super Bowl on? President's Day weekend. And I say that because that's becoming a more acknowledged, you know, private sector holiday, you know, public sector holidays that for, I mean, I should say public sector employees around the country, most of them have that off now, that Monday, the Monday after President's Day. And I was thinking, what would we think about that? What do you think about moving the Super Bowl to that weekend? Now, some will say, yeah, you've got this two week layoff. And if you move it an extra week, forward and i had somebody chime in today saying like nascar would be upset about that right because the daytona 500 tends to be that weekend but i just i just want to get your thoughts on that prospect because you know you hear this all the time from people that oh the monday after the super bowl should be a national holiday and i'm like there you go that's what i would propose move the super bowl to the to the president you know to the, the sunday before president's day the floor is yours tim you know, that's actually not a bad idea. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, shoot, you know, you can move the Daytona 500 to Monday. Um, you know, you can put it on Monday. Or you could, you know, usually the race is supposed to run at 1 o'clock. You know, the Super Bowl isn't going to kick off till 6.37. Run at noon from Daytona. What a great way to start the day, um, you know. Uh, of course, you know, this year, the, you know, it's, you know, that race is the week after uh, the Super Bowl now. That gap's been shrunk even more. Um, over time uh, with the expanded calendar. But, you know, you could throw in a second bye week, in all honesty. That's all it would take to end up on President's Day weekend. Just a second bye week um, on the NFL schedule. I'm with you. Ryan Ryan got upset with me. He's like, no, no. You know, that may not be, like I said, it may not be the worst thing to have a second (laughs) bye on the NFL calendar. And look, Ryan, if you're listening, like I said, the Daytona 500 on Monday. You know, I, I think, you know, especially if the Super Bowl's on Fox, who, you know, has the Daytona 500, you know, that what a great setup in many ways. Or B, as part of your build-up to the Super Bowl, that might be, you know, you might see Fox kind of move the Daytona 500 around to Sunday uh, because they got to dictate the football talk when they have the Super Bowl, Sunday noon, and then on Monday, um, you know, what it's not. I mean, look, I, I'm for sometimes, or push it, or just push the Daytona 500 back another week if you really need to. That's I mean, what I for that. Let's yeah, be honest. Everybody's, let's be honest. Everybody else is going to move around for um, for the NFL. Let's yes, be honest. They are. Do the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, hey, I would look, part of me is always like, look, why not make it, you know, if you did that, like I said, put the NBA All Star game the, or the, put the NBA and NHL All Star games on that weekend too. Um, you know, make it us, make it a. It's funny. I've talked about this with my dad. We've talked about this in the past. Make it a, make it a sports celebration, a celebration of sport in America, weekend of sorts, where you have those other, like I said, the NBA and the NHL All Star Games are on that weekend. I'll bet personally, I would just put the NBA. You know, yeah, you could throw those All Star Games on Sunday afternoon or something, or one of them on Monday night, and just as long as All Star Saturday night, in the NBA. You know, you still have that on a Saturday night or something. Because let's be honest, I don't care about the game. I care about the slam dunk contest. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I could I could get behind that. 
Outstanding. Outstanding. Now for your open mic, let's hear it, Tim. What do you want to talk about? We'll give you another segment. Yeah, you know, there's, there's almost two things I'd I'd be intrigued to mention. I, I just got to mention this real quick before I get to the main thing. But Mike Tomlin, heck of a job. I mean, if he's – I don't know if he's all Hall of Fame eligible yet. I don't know when he will be. Should be first ballot. I mean, Big Ben is half an arm basically at this point. He can't throw the ball past 10 yards and they somehow in the modern NFL made the playoffs. I, I don't know how. <laughs> Uh, Najee Harris also deserved a ton of credit. I think Najee Harris really won that game and Pat, Pat Fryer moved more than uh, Ben Roethlisberger. But, you know, that doesn't that doesn't sound as fun because Big Ben's retiring. So, um, But the other thing is the West Coast Conference this year in college basketball. What a year that they're having out West. It's one of the best stories, I think, in, in the country right now is the West Coast Conference. Uh, and, and you could say as a whole with the bubble, you know, with teams like Murray State and Iota and Belmont and Davidson. Well, Davidson's a 10, so that, that's more established. But UAB, I'll bet they had the loss to Rice, which hurts. But Chattanooga, there's some good mid-majors that are around the bubble. The bubble sets up this year. But the thing is, the West Coast Conference having the best year they've ever had. They have, they're probably comfortably got four. They comfortably have four teams in the tournament right now. Gonzaga and BYU and St. Mary's. And then also... San Francisco, what a job, you know, it was Kyle Smith who started, who's now at Washington State, and they're showing signs of improvement there. And then Todd, uh, and then Todd Golden, who's built on that at San Francisco, the job that program has done, and, you know, some of these other teams as well. Uh, you know, you had David Stoudemire. I think he might still be at Pacific. Uh, we would upgrade them, though, and Santa Clara has been better in recent years. And all these teams, the – the West Coast Conference has got it a lot better. I'll be interested to see who they do, what they do to replace BYU, maybe Grand Canyon, for example. If you haven't seen that, maybe the best student section of college basketball. Uh, hot take. If you haven't seen them, go look them up on YouTube. But the West Coast Conference is the best story, maybe the best story in college basketball right now. They are having a tremendous year, and they have legit teams who could spoil some one seeds, who could spoil some one or two seeds, one of them. Um, and get to the Sweet 16, not just have Gonzaga there in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four. Um, it's going to be fun because those all three of those, San Francisco, BYU, and St. Mary's can upset Gonzaga and also be, you know, without being a loss that takes Gonzaga out of a one seed either. They could lose to a couple of them and still have a one seed. It's a great year for the West Coast Conference. Um, you know, they got to be celebrating out there. They've built that conference is slowly but steadily got it better and better. And better. Um, it's not the Gonzaga shows, not just the Gonzaga St. Mary's getting BYU help. San Francisco, we can see even more. The depth of the conference is better. They 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 might get the fourth most, they might get the fifth most bids. Uh or tie for fifth of any conference. They may tie the ACC. They're battling the ACC and the Pac 12 for number of bids to the NCAA tournament. That's high fives all around for the best conference out west, the West Coast Conference. Well done. Well said, Tim. Jeff, you're up. Yeah, we didn't get to, um, you know, this is our first podcast since the, the bowl season ended, and I'm not going to go back and, um, you know, go through each game for the for the ACC. It, it could have been better was, was you know, two and four with Clemson and Rut, uh, Wake Forest being the only ACC uh, winners in, in the bowl games. Um, but they're still 
quite a bit of positive actually when you look at at what's going to happen at the end of the year when the final polls come out you know there's going to be four ACC teams ranked in in the final poll which is which is one of the better marks in in recent years for the ACC you know we, we've been talking um, you know and and the conference takes a good bit of, of criticism uh, but it'll actually turn out to be overall really not that bad uh, of a year. And then that'll lead into next season where I expect you'll have at least three and probably four ACC teams preseason ranked in the top 25 going into the next, next season. And, and I'm looking, you know, at Clemson, NC state, uh, Pittsburgh is bringing a ton back. They don't have Pickett, but they'll bring a ton back. And then, you know, wake forest, um, you've got four teams uh, met, talked a little bit about today with Virginia Tech, but you got four teams with new coaches, you know, and that always has some some optimism going into next season. So, I mean, I think you'll, you're look, going into next season, you know, the majority of ACC fan bases have a, a good bit to look forward to, um, you know, with their football teams. And it should be, um, you know, we're really early. Got to still go through spring. We'll have our pre-spring pre, previews um, that, that – here on the podcast that we have each year that that Matthew sets up, um, but if you're looking way too way too early, uh, I think there's a really good chance you, you could have you know anywhere three, four, maybe even a chance at five preseason top twenty-five teams going into uh, you know football season next year in the ACC. Uh, Jeff, did you want to talk about your blog post too about Georgia Tech? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, if if you're a Georgia Tech fan, you're definitely not on that side of of looking in, uh, you know, what's going on positive around the rest of the conference. You're, you're not in the bubble conversation. You're you're not really talking about the NCAA tournament. Your your football program's got, probably got a lame duck coach going into next year. And you know, when you look at right now today on on in January of 2022. It's rough for for Georgia Tech. I mean, they I don't even think it's arguable at this point. They have the worst combination of men's basketball and football in the conference. I mean, the the football is well documented with the failures of of Jeff Collins tenure. And then, you know, less than a year after winning the ACC championship, you know, I think Georgia Tech fans look, you know, at, at Josh Pazner have an opportunity to really build. And it just hasn't panned out this year at all uh, you know he couldn't he never landed a big man transfer that he desperately needed with Moses Wright moving on he's signed no high school players in this current recruiting cycle and uh yeah it's it's rough <laughs> it's rough if you're a Georgia Tech fan you know when you have you know you brought up on Twitter Matthew about Wake Forest possibly having the ACC coach of the year in football and in They've basketball done great yeah in men's basketball there, there's the other end of the spectrum when you're a Georgia Tech fan <laughs> Well said, Jeff. Well said. Wait, Tim, thank you so much for coming on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We loved having you come on this show, Tim. And we would love to have you come on the show again sometime. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, guys. Uh, Matt, Jeff, always glad to be on. Uh, Look forward to be back on soon enough again. Have a great week, guys. Take care. Take care, guys.